been in a series called The Ultimate Summer Road Trip. So what we've been doing is we've been road tripping through the Bible. We've been road tripping through the Old Testament and just looking at certain people, characters, and just moments of their life. And we're pulling principles that are practical out of that and finding out what that looks like for our lives and how we can apply it to us. 1 Samuel chapter 30 and verse 1, I want to read through verse 8. It should be in your message notes and also on the screen if you want to follow along. A little bit of a lengthy passage, but we're just going to stand for the reading of God's word in honor of his word today. It says, three days later, when David and his men arrived home at the town of Ziklag. Could you say the word home with me? Home. When they arrived home. Why don't you say that with me? When they arrived home. So this is... David's home, this is where he is, this is his house, this is what the enemy is coming against. It says, they had carried off the women and children and everyone else, but without killing anyone. Verse 3, when David and his men saw the ruins, you think about when they saw the ruins and realized what had happened to their families, they wept until they could weep no more. David was not in great danger. David was in great danger because all his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters. And they began to talk of stoning him. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Then he said to Abiathar the priest, bring me the ephod, which was a garment that a priest would wear like whenever they would pray. It was kind of a holy garment that represented that he was going to come and talk to God in the Old Testament. Said so Abiathar brought it. Verse 8, David asked the Lord, should I chase after this band of raiders that stole my family, that took my home? Will I even catch them? And the Lord told him, yes. Could you say that word with me? Yes, God said. Go after them. You will surely recover everything that was taken from you. Amen. You can be seated. You can be seated. Amen. There's a fight in our day and age, and it's a fight for our family. The attack in the 21st century, I believe, is against the home. And my goal today is to challenge you, to encourage you, for those of you that may not be fighting, to fight for your family. I want to encourage you, those of you that are fighting, Keep on in the fight for your family because our homes are worth fighting for. We have to take a stand for our kids, take a stand for our family, take a stand for our marriage, take a stand for our values. David encountered enemies that burned the city of Ziklag and literally stole his family away. I believe that if David could, in this season of his life, I believe if he could tell us one thing, and this is the principle we're going to be looking at today. It's right there in your message notes. This is the principle David would tell us from this season of his life, that when everything is going wrong, here's the blank, fight for your family. David was at a season when everything it was going wrong. He had went off to battle. He had went off on a rant. He had went off uh, to go make a legion with another nation. And while he was gone, the Bible says the enemy came in and began to take away his family, to take away his wife, and to burn the city that he lived in. See, Satan's number one priority is the family. He knows that as the family goes, so goes our nation. That's why there's such a great fight against our family. 
Our culture that we live in today is seeking to blur the lines of what family means, of what marriage means, of what gender means, of what sexuality means. And why, does, why is this? Why are we facing this today? What is it? that I believe it's because the enemy knows that if he can destroy the framework of the family, then he can destroy the framework of our nation because our nation is built on godly families that are seeking after the face of God. That if we give room for the enemy in this family, that if we give room for the enemy, that he'll come and he'll steal our homes. If we give room for the enemy, he'll come and he'll take our kids. If we give room for the enemy, he'll come and he'll take our families. He did it to David, and I believe he'll do it for us again today. Whenever I was preparing for this message, I... I was imagining a baseball game. I used to play baseball growing up, and I love going to a baseball game. I love going to a smoky stadium and, and watching a baseball game. And I got thinking about how, you know, it really doesn't matter how many get on base. It really only matters who makes it home. You know, if, if you can protect home, if you can protect home plate, it really doesn't matter how many hits are, hits are made, how many people get on base. As long as they don't take home, they cannot win the fight. And I want to tell you that you know, the enemy may mess with you, may mess with your life, may mess with your, with your family, but I believe today God's going to strengthen some homes so the enemy can do what he wants to in our lives. But I just came to serve notice this morning that you cannot have my family. You cannot steal my home. You're not going to have my kids. Maybe you're here today and you have some wayward children. I want to tell you that they may not even be in your home anymore, but they're still under the covering of God. And they may, they may deal, the enemy may mess with them, but you can make a notice today to the enemy just like David did. And you can recover everything that the enemy may have taken away from you. Maybe you're at a place where you feel like the enemy's taken from you. I want to know today is a day of recovery in the presence of the Lord. Somebody said amen. Satan's number one priority is the family. I believe that's why our priority needs to be the same as well. That couples need to be committed to two things in this day and age. Number one, we need to be committed to God. And number two, we need to be committed to our family. Someone needs to make up in your mind that the enemy's not going to steal my home. I find it interesting that the enemy did not go after David. He went after his family. He didn't go to David face to face, but he began to deal with David's kids. He began to deal with David's wife. He began to deal with those around David. Because the enemy knew if he could deal and mess with and steal David's family, he thought that he could destroy David himself. But I want you to know today that when we fight for our families, God will fight for us. Maybe make a resolute commitment. Maybe... You're at the place where you're single and you don't have kids yet. You're not, not even married yet. That's fine. And maybe you're at that place. See, the enemy wants to destroy some things even before they begin. He wants you to have a godly heritage. We, um, yet just yesterday, we buried a legend in our family. My wife's grandfather passed away this past week. And he was 93 years old. And he was married 68 years the same to the same woman. He was, um, he had, he was a full-time minister. He had been an evangelist. He had been a pastor. He had been a church planner. He was a traveling singer, a worship leader, all these different things. And he served God in the ministry for over 70 years after he got saved by God. And oh, the life that we celebrated yesterday. 
man after man, woman after woman, stood, stood behind the pulpit and began to tell what God had done. Old men that had had sons that the, literally generational. You got to see their son. They, they served God and got in the ministry. And then their son served God and got in the ministry. Now their kids are serving God. It's, it was, it's a generational blessing. Uh, they didn't, didn't have mountains of money. Didn't have something you would look at and think, man, that person's so wealthy in this world. But I want you to know they had something that was more valuable than money you could, could ever buy. At 93 years old, whenever you see your family coming around and we begin to worship and sing songs to God. And that same spirit that you felt when we were singing that song, it came in like a flood yesterday when we were celebrating that old man of God who had served God for over 70 years. What is that? That's a legacy. That's someone who fought for their family. That's what the goal should be. Like, what's the goal in your life? What, what are you aiming at? What, what are you shooting for? Because family, the godly heritage in home is not going to come to you by accident. It's going to be a costly commitment to fight for your family. It's not cheap. Heard a story about a well-known professor who was at the pinnacle of his career at a very prestigious university. He was the head of, of the particular part of the school that he worked in, and it was, he was making more money than he ever had. He was receiving more notoriety than he ever had in his career. And in the middle of that, his wife came sick with Alzheimer's. And she got to the point where she couldn't remember anyone. She couldn't remember her husband. And he made a decision, a costly decision, to step down from his position at the pinnacle of his career and he made, the, he made the choice. He said, I'm going to sit my days with my wife. And his co-workers looked at him and said, you're crazy. Why in the world would you do that? You're at the pinnacle of your career. She doesn't even know your name. And he looked at his co-worker and he said, you know what? She may not know my name, but I will always know her name. And he sat by her side. That's a costly commitment. That's old school, people. And that's what our society needs today. We need some type of a dig-in deep commitment that we say, God, I made a decision. I'm committed to you and I'm committed to the family that you've given me or the family you're going to give me or the people in my life. I'm not going to let the enemy just take advantage of everyone around me. I'm going to make a decision not just to fight for me, but I'm going to fight for the people around me. There's a, there's a verse of scripture in the book of Job that tells about what Job did for his family. The Bible says that, that Job sacrificed for his kids. The Bible says in Job chapter 1 verse 5 that he rose early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. In other words, of all of his family members, he made a sacrifice to God, not for himself, but for his family. And it says, thus Job did continually. I love this. I, I, I love this idea of I can just see Job in my mind's eye. I can see him before the sun comes up. He goes to the herd of cattle that he had. That he could have, he, they were going to eat or they were going to sell. It was not something that was worthless. It was something that was very costly. And he had 10 kids and a wife. And I can see him taking 11 of those animals and going and round them up, rounding them up, tying them up and saying, okay, I'm going to take you and I'm going to sacrifice you to God, not just for me, but I'm going to sacrifice them for my family. And before the sun comes up, while his kids are still in bed, 
bed. I can see him going before God and going to his altar and kneeling before God. And one by one, he would take that sacrifice and put the blood on the altar. And he would call out the name of his wife. He would call out the name of his sons. He would call out the name of each and every daughter. And he would do that continually, the Bible says, before God. And do you know that I believe that's what we're called to do as well. That not just sacrifice for me. You know why we lift our hands? We're not lifting our hands just for me. I'm lifting my hands so that a generation behind me can see that, you know what, dad served God. And dad wasn't ashamed to, to, to be different and to worship his God because that's what mattered to him. I can just see Job. We need to do like Job did. We need to cover our families with the blood of the lamb. But my grandmother used to say, I plead the blood. Man, I'd be sick. I'd go over my grandma. I lived across the road. I'd be sick. She'd open the door, and she, she, I'd, I'd go over there for some medicine. One time I was really sick, and I went over there. She had some, she had some medicine that, 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 that I didn't have, and she said, come on over, baby. So I, I came over, and only thing, she swung the door open. She began to put, she put her hand on my head, and she said, I plead the blood of Jesus right now. She began to speak in tongues, pray over me. What was it? There was something. She realized that, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm not just going to be here. I'm not just going to be here for me, but I'm here for my family. I'm here for I'm going to plead the blood of Jesus over my family. That's old school, but that's still cool. That's old school. Plead the blood. You know what? The enemy can't deal with the blood. How this happened in David's life. and What I want to focus on today is that, that, that it can happen to us. Like, it doesn't happen automatically. We kind of live in a generation where we want things. We want, it's like a micro. Everything's a microwave. We live in houses we can't afford. We drive cars that we can't afford. Everything is set up so we can look like we're doing better than we are. It's kind of our society today. It's just reality. My grandparents don't live like that. They, 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 don't, drive, they've never, they, they don't drive perfect cars. They don't, but, but, but they've saved them. It's just a different generational thinking. It's just different. We want to look, we want to look like we own it. They, they actually own it. Come on, somebody. <laughs> you know what? We can come to church and look like our family's all great. But how is it? Like, we can look like our lives are all great, but, but how, how is it on the inside? If it can happen to David, it can happen to us. Here's the, here's the way it happened to him. Just two quick things. First of all, David got distracted. He got distracted. He was three days away from his family. The Bible says he was three days' journey away. And when you find out what he was doing, he was actually making a league with the enemy. The Philistines that he once had destroyed their champion, Goliath, David and Goliath. He was going back to them saying, hey, will you protect me? How crazy is that? And while he was trying to do that, the enemy came in and took his family away. We live in a world of distracted drivers. You know, we, have you ever pulled up next to the, someone on the stoplight and you look, at, you look down, you're looking at your phone and you look at them and they're looking at their phone too? <laughs> you're thinking, are any of us even driving? Like, well, how are we driving? <laughs> Just faith. You're driving on Jesus. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> but we're just distracted, right? We're, we're distracted by... By things. We're, we're just distracted along the way. And when you get distracted driving, you're about to have a wreck. And when we get distracted from what really matters, we're about to have a wreck. There's nothing more important than what you're doing right now. I commend you for making the decision to come to church. Those of you that have a family, the fathers in this house, I commend you today for doing what you're doing right now. You're making sure your family's in the house of God. You're making sure you're saying yes to what is the most important, making a commitment to say, you know what, kids? God's going to be not just part of our life. God is our life. 
Like it's not a question. I grew up where it wasn't a question, are we going to church today? I I dare say if your kids have to ask you, are you going to church today? You're already distracted driving. What matters? What matters? Here's the second thing that happened. David was deceived. David was deceived. He was focused on the wrong victory. He was focused on the wrong victory. He was trying to win victory with the enemy, like with the, trying to get affirmation from everybody else around them. And uh, he, was, he had left his home vulnerable. And he was deceived that, that that was really important, but his home really wasn't. It's going to come a day in all of our lives that we're going to understand that the most important thing that ever happened in us was God and family. That's it. Recently, I heard someone said I was reading a book called Love Does by a man named Bob Goff. And he made a statement in that book that I believe, I hope stays with me. He said, you have eight people. Eight people. You have room for eight people around a bedside one day whenever you're breathing your last breaths. Eight people. The question is, what have you put in those eight people? What have you done? Not for the world, not for the mill. What have you done for those eight people? Who are those eight people in your life? And how are you? That's where the real victory is. Philemon chapter 1 verse 2, a lot of Paul's letters he wrote to churches, but I love what he says in Philemon chapter 1. He says, to the church that's in thy house. (laughs) You know what? We need to have some church, not just at church. We need to have church in our house too. (laughs) How's the church in your house doing? (laughs) I'm thankful that City Hills Church is growing. It looks great in here this morning, but I'm going to ask you, how's the church doing in your house? <laughs> how's the Bible doing in your house? It gets open here every Sunday, but, but, but does it get open in your house? How's it doing in your house? Paul said, I'm writing not to the, to the church big, I'm writing to the church small. Like, how's it doing in the house? Because here's the thing, if we can do it in the house, then I believe that God's going to bless this house. That if we'll keep the priority of opening the word of God, prayer, reading the scripture, singing songs, doing work, like do it in our house then God's favor and blessing will be on this house. Because if we have thousands of people in this house, but our houses are not a place of prayer, then we have failed, my friend. Because that's what matters most. So how do we fight? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 says, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. We're not wrestling against people or principality. Your, your fight's not your wife. Your fight's not your husband. Your fight's not your kids. Our, we're fighting the devil. He's trying to put discord and, and, and so arguments and, and all these type of things. And that's what we're fighting. We're fighting the enemy. So how do we fight? Here's the first reality. We fight with forgiveness. We fight with forgiveness. Ephesians 4.26, I put it in your notes. It says, be angry. So that's, somebody, that's, that's your scripture today. God said I could be angry. But then he said, don't sin though. He said, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Heard one preacher say, he said, you know what? We obeyed this scripture. We didn't go to bed while we were fighting. He said, we stayed up for months at a time whenever we first got married. In our house, we made a decision. We'll never say the word divorce. But we do say the word murder sometimes along the way. (laughs) We fight with forgiveness. That the enemy can keep bitterness and we're not talking to one another and we're angry, we're all angry, it's all in disarray. And he can destroy our family. So we fight with forgiveness. Unforgiveness is like setting yourself on fire and hoping the other person is going to die from smoke inhalation. (laughs) Unforgiveness is 
It's, 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 it's not hurting them, it's hurting you. That's why Ephesians 4 says, get rid of it. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, because they deserve forgiveness. Oh wait, it doesn't say that. It says forgiving one another because that other person is perfect. No, forgiving one another because they deserve it. No, forgiving one another just as Christ, just as in Christ, God forgave you. In other words, we don't forgive people because they deserve to be forgiven. We don't even forgive people because they ask to be forgiven. Maybe you have people in your life, you say, they haven't even asked me if uh, they want to forgive me. Like, they haven't even asked me. You know, they don't have to ask you. The Bible, says, the Bible says you forgive them because of God's forgiveness in your life. You say, God, I recognize I didn't deserve to be forgiven by you. And you know what? They don't even deserve to be forgiven by me, but I forgive them anyway. I put them on your account. I put them on your tab. Like, God, you can take care of that. I choose to forgive. Jesus was preaching one time, and he said, if you, have, if you come to church and you have something against your brother, and you're about to give him the offering, he said, leave. Like, leave church right now and go deal with your brother. I want to tell you that. Leave. You have permission to leave church. Like, if you have an issue with, with a brother, if you have an issue with the sister, if you have an issue with a family member, if you have an issue with someone in this house, Jesus would say, more important than you giving or you worshiping, you singing, is that you would get right and ask his forgiveness to cover you and that you would get right with your brother. Whenever you forgive them, it does not make them right. It only makes you free. When you, when you go to them, when you say, forgive me, when you forgive them by faith, the Bible says you live at peace with all men as much as it depends on you. I love that verse. So in other words, there's some people, you ain't going to, like, you're just going to do what you can do, and that's it. For, and I'll say this too, forgiving people does not mean reconciling with people. There's some people that we need to keep at a distance in our lives. I don't mean forgiving people means that they're your best buddies again, that they're the same relationship again absolutely not but it does mean you got to let go of some things you got to put it in the hands of Jesus and say God and every time it comes to your mind you say okay God that's not my business anymore I do that to the I did that just this past week I was worrying and worrying and worrying about something and I said okay time out God you are God I am not my shoulders are very small but your shoulders can carry the weight of the world I choose right now to take this situation and I put it on your shoulders and I refuse to worry about it one more moment and every time that worry comes back to my mind I say wait wait, wait that's God like you can go to God God with that because I'm not worrying about that one more moment. Somebody needs to take the worry, take the pain, take the bitterness, take the shame, and realize that you're not meant to carry it, but you put it on the shoulders of Jesus Christ, and he's the one that carries your burdens for you. Here's the third, second thing. We fight with encouragement. We fight with encouragement. Your words matter. Your words matter. You can't fight for your family and tear them down with your words all at the same time. Speak life. Speak with encouragement. Fight with encouraging words. We need a revival of encouragement. Proverbs 21 verse 9 says, It's better to live on the corner of a roof than to share a house with a nagging wife. All the men said, nothing. You better say nothing. (laughs) We need to speak words of life over one another. Why don't we do this? For the next... 
for the end of this day, we're not going to give it 24 hours. Would you just speak positive things over your family? Like, don't say, and I'm guilty of this, my kids are wild. Like, don't, they're crazy. No, 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 no. we're not going to say, baby, we're, for the rest of the day, we, have, we only have one of two with us. The other one's at grandma's house. This may be a little easier today than usual. <laughs> but let's, let's make a little pact that every one of us are only going to speak words of life to the people around us today. And if we got something negative, we'll save it for tomorrow. Just write it down and we'll <laughs> spew it out at each other tomorrow, okay? Everybody say, ah, if you're going to do that. On two, three, ah, there we go. Rest of the day. And here's the third thing. We fight with faith. We trust that only God can give us the strength. Only God can help us. Joshua 24 said, as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Verse 18 says, so David recovered all. This is what will happen. Preaching to somebody that your family may be in disarray. I'm speaking life to families today. God specifically put this on my heart today, my, I mean, this, this week. My wife and I were riding together. and it was, I was planning on, if you've been following the, the, uh, the road trip, I was planning on speaking about Elijah this week. And, and God put it so hard, strong on my heart that God wants to touch a family today. God wants to touch a family today. And this is a prophetic word to somebody in this house. It says, David recovered all. The thing that the enemy wants to say, oh, it's all so far gone. It's, it's just, just, just call it, it's over. It says, so David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away. And David rescued his two wives. And nothing of theirs was lacking. Neither small nor great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that they had taken from them. And David recovered. I want to pray for some families this morning. Pray that God would give you the strength to recover. Whatever it is. Maybe you're in this place and maybe this message is not for you and your family. Maybe this message is for you and your God. Maybe, maybe the enemy's stolen some things just from you and you need to give your life. You need to make a fresh commitment to Jesus Christ. I don't want to let another day go by. Another Sunday, without us having a moment where we just bow our heads and say, God, I give you my life. If you need to give your life to Jesus today, today's the day. I heard a story about a lawyer in Chicago that was headed to work and he had a drinking problem. And on his way to the office every day, he would stop by a bar. And one day in the wintertime, it was snowing and his footsteps were very evident because of the snow and right about the time he got to the bar like he did every day he began to hear the pitter patter of little little steps behind him and he saw his son step by step jumping into the steps of his father the little steps were stepping into the big steps and he was he wasn't he was following him every step of the way his little six-year-old son full of conviction he picked his son up took him back home to his mom, found a place before God and got on his knees. He said, oh God, forgive me that I've been walking in places. I've been leaving footsteps for my son to follow me to a bar. He said, if you'll give me strength and grace, I'll make sure that from now on my footsteps will lead my family to you. Where are your footsteps leading today? 
Because I promise you, whether you have kids or no kids, there are people in your life like God has put you as an influencer, that there are people behind you today that they're following you. They're looking how you're going to live your life and they're going to be following in your footsteps. I want my footsteps to lead to Jesus. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If that's you this morning, you want to give your life to Christ. Won't you? It's nobody looking around. You want to make a fresh commitment to God. There's something about this message. You want to say, I want to give my family to God. I want to give my life to God. Won't you just lift up your hand as just saying, yes, God, that's me. Yes, God, I make a commitment to you. It's awesome. Awesome. I see that hand. So awesome right now. All over the house, let's just simply pray a prayer. We give our lives to Jesus today, right now. Just pray with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I love you. I give you my life. Forgive me when I go my own way, when I have footsteps that lead to the wrong places. God, I give my life fresh and anew to you today. Be my Lord. Forgive me of my sin. Fill me with your Holy Spirit today. Make me brand new. And I will follow you forever. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.